0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Doing the Work with Jay and Becca. We are super excited today to be having a neuroscientist, an actual neuroscientist, founder of the Neuroscience <laughs> Academy, Dr. Sarah McKay, coming to us all the way from Australia. So uh, this is a, a Jay connection, and I am just ready to sit back and learn so much today. So. Jay, can you tell us a little bit
1: more about how you know uh, Dr. Sarah and and what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, welcome Sarah to the show, and um, to let our listeners know, I got introduced, Sarah, I got introduced to you through uh, John Asaroff's brain. Oh,
2: Okay. I wonder what the connection was. Thank you so much yes. for having me on. I'm really, I'm thrilled to be here, guys.
1: Oh, we're so excited. So we had a road trip, a family road trip, and. Uh, Jessica likes to find fun things to listen to. So she found this brain-a-thon and it was over the Thanksgiving holiday. So we listened to this brain-a-thon as we're driving a 10 hour drive across the country. Mm. And, um, Sarah, you were on and you were talking about your refire process. Mm. And, uh, I was excited, first of all, because, uh, you know, we're a a show that's predominantly focused on women and, uh, so women neuroscientist. i'm like yes i want to get her on my show So, (laughs) so i immediately sent you an email first of all and you were very sweet and responded yes i'd love to do this and it's summertime and can we do it you know so we got on the calendar but then i started getting your emails and here's what i want to share with my audience especially those of you who are in marketing and i have a lot of creatives in here and becca you could appreciate this so one of the things that uh you know, we talk about marketing is like being in people's inboxes. But man, if you're the right audience, because I always think people don't want all that stuff, but Sarah, I mean, I am her target audience, right? I am this freak <laughs> about neuroscience. It totally turns me on. And and I'm a I'm a big mouth, like a big picture guy, so you know, I'm I'm not I have Jess is always checking me on like, are you accurate? Are you really saying <laughs> So like <laughs> So I start getting these this information from her that's saying she teaches this course specifically for coaches and people like me who want to understand neuroscience and, and use it and speak to it and understand it but don't want to go but can't even i can't even understand it like, like uh-huh. there's no way um science is is not my thing so i appreciate it so much sarah that you have this course and i'm enjoying the course i wish i was a better student um <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't i don't keep know, too close really to a lot a lot of information so i promise you i'm eating it in small bites um and it's fantastic. So thank you for who you are, that you're t- training us to be talking about our brains and learning about this thing that has us run and work. And um, thanks for being on the show.
2: Oh, look, there's nothing I love more than people who get as turned on by neuroscience as me.
1: Well, we do. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit about, like, your work and how you got doing what you're doing. And um, I know you have a book coming out. Talk to us a little yeah. bit about, like, Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, I've been. um, Thank you for that lovely intro, and it's always nice to know how people uh, find their way to get to know me. So I grew up, um, I may be living in Australia now, but I grew up in New Zealand, which is where my accent comes from. So I um, had a lifelong passion and interest in all things health, science and medicine, was always fascinated in the human body. And during my first year of university, I read Oliver Sacks, amazing book the man who mistook his wife for a hat and he really inspired an entire generation of of neuroscientists I, I i've spoken to so many people who work in neuroscience who who read his book and were just gripped um Apologies if you can hear noise outside my window. I have someone building a fence outside my office. Um, It happens. So that, 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 that book really sort of set me on my path. So I did an undergraduate degree in New Zealand in neuroscience. And then I was incredibly fortunate to win a scholarship to Oxford University for four years in the UK. And I did a master's and then a PhD in neuroscience over there. Absolutely loved that. Met a, a gorgeous Irishman when I was in Oxford who was studying economics, and we got to the, the Irish are
1: so good looking, aren't
2: they? they he is he is a he is a <laughs> handsome man. <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky to have found him, um, and loved loved neuroscience when I was I was doing my research. Was was studying. Um, Back then, we didn't use the word neuroplasticity very much. Occasionally, it would come up sort of in in the research lab, but it certainly wasn't a word that was used often. But what I was studying essentially was how the brain changes during development. I was very interested in how neurons in the brain, the brain cells in the brain, how they wire up during development, how they choose their synaptic partners, so Mm -hmm. to speak. I was very fascinated in... Are the connections in the brain early in development, is is the wiring due to sort of genetic, innate sort of nature, you could say, influences? Is is it entirely determined by that, or is it determined very in that very early postnatal period by experiences or by nurture? So I spent three years working very, 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 very hard on trying to answer that question, and I kind of got to the end and found out that it was a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Really, so so nothing too startling, but certainly nowadays we don't ever have this nature nurture argument anymore. We kind of the two work in synergy, they're completely entwined with each other yeah. so i was I was just very i've always been very interested in those sort of fundamental neurobiological questions of how how did, how how do neurons choose their partners how does the brain wire up? I then moved to sydney australia my my lovely Irishman and I decided we wanted. To have a bit of a sun, he grew up as a he. He comes from a sailing family in Dublin, in Ireland. So we thought, well, Sydney seems like a nice place where we could go and warm up for a year or two, sail a bit, and perhaps you know see what happens with our careers. Well, that was in two thousand and two. So <laughs> we thought, we, we thought we'd come to Sydney for a year. We have a we haven't quite we haven't quite left, so we're pretty, um, you know, we've got a lovely lifestyle here on the northern beaches of Sydney. Um, so I did a couple of research um, projects here as a postdoctoral research fellow here in Sydney, again in this topic of neuroplasticity, but more in that I was working on spinal cord injury for a while, and I was also working on deafness. Um, mm. And then that, then I it's very always absolutely passionately in love with the neurobiology but got a little bit frustrated with academia because it's incredibly hard to get research funding. And there's a lot of gatekeepers in in your way. And I just, I felt that I was missing out as a researcher on, when you're a researcher, you have to focus in very narrowly on one tiny little specific question. And I kind of missed, I missed like learning about everything. You know, I would read New Scientist or Scientific American magazines because I wanted to kind of know about everything and continue that kind of learning. So I decided to be very brave and hang up my lab coat, put down my pipette, and and I set up a business as a science communicator and writer, which really enabled me to then talk and share my love of neuroscience with other people. Whilst still kind of working in this field, I love so I've been doing that for about a decade now, and That's it's been awesome. a, it's been really really fabulous. And so about about a year and a half ago, I was approached by a book publisher. They, they, well, the the woman rang me up and essentially said, "Why haven't you written a book?" And I was like, well, "I wrote a PhD thesis once. I'm still in recovery." <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know
2: that not, feeling. <laughs> I'm not the kind of person who's ever you know. Lots of people say they have a book in them. And I didn't really have any good ideas. Um, but this, I, met, I met up with this publisher, and she's a very charismatic woman, um, God lover, and she said, look, I, I think that you must have an idea there somewhere. And she said, what have you ever written that has resonated most widely with your audience? And I said, well, it's funny you ask that, because a couple of years ago, an editor asked me to write an article on menopause and brain fog. And I didn't really know much about menopause at the time. I was 40, so I thought menopause was something my mum once did with her friends, and that was about as much thought as I'd ever given to it. Wow. Um, so I wrote. I, I started researching this topic of menopause and what happens to the brain, and I and I realised a lot of women were. were were experiencing what we call, or what they call, brain fog. So they're feeling a bit fuzzy and forgetful, and suffering a little bit of memory loss. and 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 a lot of them were very, very fearful that they were the early signs of Alzheimer's or dementia. Too scared to speak to anyone about it. Wow. But it turns out that that is a completely normal and very common experience of the sort of the roller coaster of the hormones that are sort of winding down during menopause as that kind of brain ovarian conversation sort of starts to falter, Mm. hormones shoot up and down. And it does, in many women, they have hot flashes, they have insomnia, they have various issues, and it can result in feeling a bit sort of fuzzy in your head. It's not the early warning signs of dementia. So anyway, I had an enormous response to that article. Wow. um, And my... Publishers said to me there's a book in that and
1: then she
2: and then she turned around and said to me what's the story with baby brain and I was like oh well I don't know I never experienced that baby brain being that similar phenomenon when you're pregnant or when you and in the early years of motherhood again you feel a bit forgetful and um, fuzzy and I, I certainly personally when I had my boys never experienced that but I thought huh I've never thought about that either. And then I had this absolute mo- aha moment. You know, you have these defining aha moments in your yeah. life. Yeah. I went, mm-hmm. I've been owning and operating a female's body and brain my entire life. I have been a neuroscientist for 25 years and I have never considered what happens to the brain, how the brain is shaped by my life as a female and how, you know, being, being a, having a female body and brain has influenced my kind of experiences of life and what, you know, I've never matched these two together. And, yeah. and in one moment I was kind of completely mortified that I'd never thought about it that way. And then realized there were hundreds of questions I didn't know the answer to. And yeah. so the chapter outline of the book sort of wrote itself in about five minutes. I realized yeah. I didn't know about girlhood, about puberty, the menstrual cycle. Um, why is there a gender gap in depression and anxiety? What happens to our brains when we're pregnant? Um, you know, what's the story with mating and dating and love and sex in terms of neurobiology? And all these ideas kind of like went boom, 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 Dopamine, boom, right? Boom. I got the answer, right?
1: <laughs>
0: I
2: just, every, 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 every neurotransmitter in my brain was firing.
1: I bet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> And so then I, I then spent the next year and a half sitting by myself in my room, occasionally talking to researchers and scientists and, 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 and writing this book and now I'm. Kind of, back, I'm back again. I'm back out in the world again, um, <laughs> talking about that. And and I still and as and as you say, Jay, I, I also teach this online course in neuroscience, and I and I blog, and I still and I speak a lot about um about neuroscience in general, not just what I've learned about um the female brain.
1: Well, there's got to be a TED talk be. in that female brain, though, right?
2: I, well, I've already given a TED talk. I don't know whether you get to do two. Oh, well,
1: you can do as many <laughs> I, as you want.
2: <laughs> yeah. I gave a TED talk a couple of years ago on the neurobiology oh, of, after- of afternoon naps. So I'm yeah, a bit we posted of a- that. I think
1: I think I posted that, Didn't I post that on the on the. Oh Yeah, do- the- so, yeah you did. I was like, I was like, why? Yeah, we, are we talked about that. that. So we've already posted that. We've already posted your yeah, TED not- talk.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think I think we've done that. I don't think you get to do another one, but that's fine. Look, I'm I'm perfectly happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I know. Brene Brown has more than one
2: TED talk. Oh, she's, yeah, but she's Brene Brown. Yeah, well, you're Sarah McKay. Well, you're Sarah McKay. Uh,
0: Come on.
2: just are my kid,
1: neuroscientist. <laughs> are you kidding me?
2: Are oh, you a personal <laughs> scientist.
1: Right on. Well, that He's sounds the... like, I mean, I know
2: Sorry, I've so I've many talked,
1: questions yeah. coming up for me. Becca, why don't you fire? Because I, I know you're just, like, bubbling over there listening to all this oh, brain. I, I know.
0: I mean, I have so many things and so many questions. But, um, you know, I think that the first thing is just wow you know the 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 trajectory that you've taken in your life and what you're doing currently um you know we've got so many things that we could touch on but if you had to you know say what would be your you know current baby project that like our folks could be you know learning and listening and, and, and hearing from you what, where would, where would we send them? I mean, what if you, we've got a bunch of nerds out there that are just like Jay and I, that are just like <laughs> eating this up, Love the so neuroscience. Right Yeah, we are right now like Googling it. and trying to figure out how to get into this mm-hmm. and, and learn more. So tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about maybe just like even more of the products or the, the services that you offer.
2: Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Great. Yeah, well my, arm is, uh, my arms are always welcome and open to nerds everywhere. Um, so I suppose perhaps you could start with my blog. So I have a blog called Your Brain Health and I, <laughs> depends on whether I'm busy writing a book or not, how often I actually publish blog posts, but I write about neuroscience and aspects of brain health performance, um, and, and well being. and there. So that's called yourbrainhealth.com.au and I've been writing that on and off now for about Maybe maybe four years. Um, I'm writing a series at the moment on there in partnership with a, another neuroscientist I know, another woman. I, I would say about through my training, about fifty percent of the neuroscientists I worked with were women. So it's a there's, there's a good um, there's a good gender balance in that industry, mm-hmm. and not in all sciences, but certainly within the in the neurobiology field. Um, but I'm working with a, 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 a researcher called Amy Reichelt, and we're writing a blog series on gut brain the gut brain axis. The oh gosh. So can, you, always... t- can you talk a little
1: bit about <laughs> yeah. Would you, yeah. Would you be willing to share about the study that you told us about? Because I mean I and then here I am. See I can take snippets out of this, um, and just blow my mind out of like one paragraph from the gut brain health study you the mouse the mice that were that are born. Germ free, right? They do a cesarean. Yes, take yes. the mice out as a cesarean, and then put them like boys in a bubble. You know, like they grow them in a germ free environment.
2: Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, yep, yep, that's correct. And what they've I and mean, in the, I mean, I guess I have to put the the scientific caveat in is that these germ free mice, so they are so they are born and raised without any microbiome in their gut. But that right. that that means that they are developing not in a normal way. So they're not like a normal. normal healthy mouse they're already unusual because they're a lab mouse they they are raised without a a, a normal gut or any gut microbiome at all and what we do see as they grow up or what the researchers have seen in the lab is that they have very different responses to perhaps stressful environments or um, emotional challenges or even some basic cognitive challenges like finding their way through a maze and what they do what they can do is they could um, perhaps you may have this sort of standard mouse without a gut microbiome and then you could transfer the gut microbiome of another mouse and they typically do them via poo transplants Um, you could have an incredibly stressed mouse that's been that's been stressed out and you could transfer the stressed mouse's gut microbiome into the germ-free mouse and it will take on board some of the emotional responses of the super stressed mouse or you could have like a really cool chilled out relaxed mouse and again you seem to be able to transfer some of the emotional responses from mouse to mouse purely right. through moving the gut microbiome across
1: now dr sarah Then can we conclude from that? Right. Because what we so we would I think up until you're talking about this, most people would say that it's the brain that gives us the nervous stomach. Like it's the brain that is, you know, I mean, I Mm. think most people think that way. And what Mm. you're basically saying is it's the other way around.
2: No, yes. not necessarily. I, I, no, I wouldn't say that. Well, first of all, we're talking about mice. We're talking about very unusual oh. mice that have been raised germ-free. So we have to be very, very careful about making a jump from, oh, therefore, mice. you know, all of our emotions come out of our gut as humans because that's right. not that's not necessarily how it works. So we do have to be very careful about jumping from, um, you know, m- research done in the lab into the co- sort of human condition because we are yeah. super complex um, people with, with histories and contexts and life experiences and social interactions. Mice don't have any of that, really. But there definitely is a connection between our brain and our gut, and, and it's a bi-directional communication. So the gut has an extensive nervous system. It has extensive neural input from the brain, and it also has its own I, – I, I don't like using the word it has its own brain, but there is an extensive neural network within the gut and that's needed so you can sort of for peristalsis to move, um, you know, your food through your intestines. So that's why that that is there. That said, there's definitely a a, a mind body connection, as there is between every part of our body and our brain. The two of yeah. them don't work separately, but there's, right. there's absolutely an influence. Now there are um, our, our gut is almost one of our main kind of. Um, interfaces with the outside world because that's one way that right. the outside world gets in is we eat. Yeah, we eat food, it. And <laughs> it kind of comes into <laughs> our gut. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's, there's definitely a bi directional communication pathway between the brain and the gut. Now, the exact form that that pathway takes, we don't know. Perhaps partly through the bloodstream, partly through direct neural connections between the gut and the brain, perhaps partly through the immune system and also partly through our hormonal system. And so there's lot, there's lot it's not going to be only one and not the other. It's going to be all right. of those channels of communication are going back and forward. And so, I mean, and we know that we have an emotional response to our gut and that we, we feel nervous and we get a bit of an upset tummy or, you know, your heart broken and, you know, you feel the, that kind of physical pain in your abdomen. So there's definitely, you know, connections there. Fascinating stuff. Wow. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's one of those things that we um, have talked about a lot just in terms of the mind-body connection and, and really mm-hmm. encouraging our listeners to explore that in a lot of different ways, not just the, oh, my back hurts and so therefore, you know, I've got to dig up a memory that I had mm-hmm. when I was 12 or whatever. But also, like, there's this thing called your gut and it's mm-hmm. doing a bunch of stuff and if you're not paying attention to what you're, you're feeding it, um, and what's going on in there? Then, then you should be, even if it's just yeah. about noticing it. Um, yeah,
2: for so. sure, for sure. And I think Jay will be familiar with. Jay will be familiar with this idea where I talk about. Um, I talk about this in my course. And there's a little bit about it in my blog. I call it bottom up, outside and top down. How right. does how is the brain integrating various signals? And sure, it's integrating signals from our body, from our biology. I mean, that's that you know the brain is there to move us through the world and to monitor what is happening in our body so what the food we eat and the exercise we do influences our brain but so do as humans so too does the the world around us in our social context external stressful events and the social networks that we have around us but also influencing the brain are our our expectations and our mindset and our thoughts and our feelings so the brain has got a lot of a lot a lot going on and I think we just have to be be wise to that, and to and to think about approaching our brain health and our and our, perhaps our kind of kind of um, state of mind by looking at these, you know, the bottom up and the outside and and the top down influences because they all interact.
1: Yeah, and I one of the things we've talked about. On the, I one of the things I brought to this podcast, and I'm like blanking out on some of them. So, Sarah, you can fill me in. Um, mm-hmm. Is the uh, you kind of have a rank in terms of on your brain health blog? It's like I think you rank sleep as number one, right? <laughs> oh health. look,
2: I'm not either. It was probably just a bit of marketing. I don't. It's sleep I
1: don't is number the, one. And <laughs> yeah, then
2: sleep, sleep is up there. Yeah. Look, I, I, is I, I Nutrition
1: I, is one. Nutrition is two. Uh, movement or movement is two. Nutrition is three. I think.
2: Yeah, look, I'm I'm not sure whether there's any wrong um, the scientific basis behind that. But if we're talking about bottom up, how we can influence our, our our brain health or our mind kind of capacity from the from the bottom up, sleep, exercise, and diet are in there. And I don't think, I mean, we can't go for a night a night without sleep without feeling absolutely appalling. We all know how important it is. So that has that's ultimate. That, I mean, that has to be up there. we have no we have almost no choice over that because that's right. what our body and our brains do every day whether we like it or not so sleep is absolutely completely fundamental we also need to eat and so those choices that we make are fundamental but i think a lot of people don't realize that our brains evolved to move our bodies through the world and and our brains evolved when we were kind of on foot like moving and navigating through the world and hunting and looking for food so 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 healthy thinking and feeling are intimately entwined with our body's capacity to move. So exercise or simply moving our body around the world is doing, is using our brain for what it evolved for. So that those, those three are, are, abs- are absolutely critical. Do nice. so you think yes. that
0: um, now that we live in a more sedentary society and we're more technical and faces and phones and, and we don't have that need to hunt and gather the sort of same way. Do you think that we're going to be going under another brain evolution? Um, and and how does that work?
2: Yeah, look, I, I haven't delved too deeply into the literature around the impact that technology is having on our brains. Because, I mean, I like to think of technology as something neutral and there's plenty of positive benefits. I mean, we can connect. You, we, we can have this conversation because of technology. Um, but certainly, having a sedentary lifestyle is, is, um, is, is completely damaging. And whether that's because you're sitting at a computer screen or you have a job that means that you're kind of tied to a desk. Um, it, you know, if you, if you have a job that ties you to a desk but it's incredibly cr- incredibly cognitively engaging, that's, you know, that, that there's a little bit of, at least there's a little bit of <clears throat> kind of a positive outcome there. But certainly have these these sedentary lifestyles that we we now um, many many of us lead is is incredibly damaging. And that is damaging not only to our brain health but to our physical health. That's we see these rising rates of obesity and these lifestyle diseases. And of course they're complex and they're multifactorial, but but you know, our, our minds and our brains and our bodies evolve moot because we move through the world, because we were hunter gatherers. And certainly that's the the kind of the healthiest state for us to be in. And if you look at the healthiest people in the world, for example, the blue zone studies or longitudinal studies that have been done looking at health outcomes, including brain health outcomes such as Alzheimer's and dementia, you know, staying physically fit and active is absolutely fundamental to to that kind of equation.
1: That's good to know. I mean, yeah. We're on that page. So hmm. one of the questions I have, Sarah, because I, I think our cl- the people are going to want to want this answer, um, is or because I was curious about it, especially when you talk when your book is about the female brain, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But
1: you mentioned at one of your in one of your emails or um, in one of your emails to me that like you don't really and I'm and I want to point out why this is important. You don't really focus on the differences between the male brain and the female brain, right? Sure. You're just talking about the female brain and the experiences of the female brain. Sure. So, A, this is important because there is no research on women ever, right? <laughs> I mean, historically, there's no medical <laughs> research on women. Yep. Um, I nearly read a whole
2: chapter on that fact. <laughs>
1: if it's born sans penis, yep. we don't care,
2: yep. right? Yep.
1: So, You're, so You
2: are entirely correct. That is very true. Yep.
1: Yes. Well, and as a trans man, there's like you know, if you were to go into transgender studies or transsexual studies, there's, if you could find any research, they're always on males to females because they were born with penis. And so, you know, scientists were like, my God, why wouldn't you want to have that? So, of course, they would research. (laughs) But those that were born sans penis, they don't care. So there's no research on transgender people who are born like me who are born female and transition to male. So, and I, so I appreciate that, that it's just, this yeah. is about women and it's not about differences between men and women. I just yeah. wanted to make sure everybody got that. That wasn't, that that mm. was clear. That it's not about differences. And you know, that I have this question about my brain. Which, yeah. Is that a question I, we, you'd be willing to talk about right now or answer on the, the yeah, call? Yeah, sure. So yeah, yeah. I, my curiosity is what the hell happened to my brain when I went on testosterone? <laughs> um, I like to say it made me a little dumber. <laughs> 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 Feels like I got dumber. <laughs> when you went on, when
2: you went on, when you went on testosterone.
1: Right, right. Yes. I'm a little yeah. slower than I used to yeah. be. Um, I, and I feels like, and you know, I, I share this with women. Here's my question is I've been walking through the world as a man for 16 years and the level of privilege that I have <clears throat> and that I get handed is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. yeah, And so part of it feels like sometimes when I get these dumb moments, like, is that is it really because my brain isn't working, or is it because I've been now conditioned to be like a guy where it's like I can just go well, I don't know, and some woman will come and <laughs> take care of it? Yeah. So is it entitlement, or is it brain science?
2: I Serum don't know. <laughs> <I'm not sure laughs> I don't know. It's probably I'd like probably entitlement. I agree. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> as you say, as you 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 very clearly pointed out, there is so often very, and I say scant research. Time and time again when I was writing this book, I thought, right, there is going to be a ton of research on this topic. Um, and I would go in and I'd look up my textbooks and then I would go onto PubMed and I'd start scrolling through the neuroscience literature and I would I would I would go, this, you know, how can there be so little research on this? For example, how's this to blow your mind? There is very, very little research on what the contraceptive pill does to women's brains. I mean, women have been taking that pill for 50 years. If there's no research on that. It's hardly surprising there's, there's, there's such little research on so many topics within women's health. Um, so, you know, you, you, you are quite right. Now, there is some, and there is some excellent research on some, some um, areas, areas of women's health. In terms of exactly your situation, Jay, and I think you probably have as many insights into, you know, being the owner and operator of both a, a, a male brain and a female brain, what is really interesting is, and I'm not speaking um, from this point of view of, of, of expertise, only from having very l- quickly looked at some of this literature, is we understand that there's a couple of kind of critical phases of brain development, which are driven by hormones. So there's that very early um, phase in, in utero, when baby babies who um, with XY chromosomes who have testes produce testosterone, and that gets inside the brains of these baby boys, gets converted funnily enough into estradiol in their brains. So mother, t- mother nature has a good sense of humour. And that, what says, says what we, the word that we use is it masculinises those baby boys' brains. But but broadly speaking, it masculinises the parts of the brain that are involved in reproduction. The baby girls who have XX chromosomes, most often, not always, but most often, They don't produce the testosterone, so their brains kind of develop by default or by destiny is another another word you can use. So there's that critical phase of brain development. And then babies are, of course, born into a gendered world. The first thing they hear is, it's a boy and it's a girl, and off they go down the pink or the blue highway, despite the best intentions of some parents who try to parent in some gender-neutral way, we were all born into a gendered world. The second sensitive phase of development in which our brains are sort of susceptible to hormones is puberty. And we and, and, so, and the, the language that gets used by researchers who work in this field is that that early phase of brain development is kind of it's kind of when the structures are built. During the during adolescence and puberty, it's when they almost kind of they get activated. So there's that second critical period of development when um, during during puberty, once the, the sort of the hormones start up again, the testosterone and the guys and the estrogen and the girls, and that further refines some of these regions of the brain, in particular the parts of the brain that are involved in reproduction. Broadly speaking, a lot of the other parts of the brain remain reasonably androgynous. So for someone like you, Jay, you've gone through these two critical periods of development in which your brain was kind of initially sculpted and then refined by female hormones Mm -hmm. and then those critical phases have closed down and then you've done this rather you've been in this rather unusual situation of adding testosterone into the mix and i assume reducing your or or eliminating female hormones we don't really i went through
1: male puberty and uh, female menopause at the same time.
2: Exactly, and it was a we,
1: good time. Let me tell you.
2: Yeah, I, <laughs> it it, it, w- it would hot
1: flashes. Holy and,
2: smokes. You no, know, there must be so many neuroscientists that would have just loved to have like got hold of you and popped you in a neuro, <laughs> popped you in an fMRI scanner. And, and I don't know how many studies that have careful studies that have been done. I mean, there there are a few, but it's very very hard to to draw any conclusions from them based yeah. on what we understand about how hormones impact the brain a lot of it is still we're still very much at this early phase of getting the stories from the people who've experienced that and then trying to go well what does that tell us about how the brain works we don't know a lot but you're in it's a very unusual situation in that your brain's gone through these critical phases of development now what happens once you start adding testosterone in you know, that's it's really unusual, it's absolutely fascinating. But what is really, really cool, and what is I think is kind of entertaining is that testosterone readily enters the brain of males. Women make a little females make a little bit of testosterone too.
0: But in the brain,
2: it then gets converted into estradiol. And then that's how yeah, it has its yeah. action. So that's kind of that that's kind of there's a lot of um kind of quirks to the story. And also I'd love to give you a their answer. We don't, we don't, we're at the point where we don't really know. There's a little bit of study there's a little bit of research out there, but um well I kinda not, at,
1: but I just wanted to check in because I, I know there's the research on it. I mean there, yeah that level at the level I don't neuroscience research anyway. And there's some research on you know health concerns and things like that. But
2: absolutely absolutely and you and you would probably be far more up to date on all of that than me. And I and and Adding all of that kind of research would have absolutely enriched my book, but as it was, I came up with I came across enough, enough kind of gaps in the literature anyway yeah, yeah. that I really wanted to only talk about you know this is what we kind of know for for sure, and yeah, then gaps. Sometimes the gaps were gosh, some of the gaps were so entertaining. You might um, you might find this quite entertaining. Um, so I was I was writing the chapter on, on on sex and mating and dating, and I thought, oh well, surely there'll be heaps of, of neuroscience research on the female orgasm, and and in particular, I was interested in the sort of the the, the neurobiological reason why women are able to have multiple orgasms and men can't. Yes, like, that like? is
1: a really good I mean Yes, <laughs> thank well, God then. I kept my women brain around that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You must Because it's a really interesting neurobiological question because it's all about what we call in neuroscience refractory periods and what inhibits neurons responding in certain ways. And I thought, oh, the, the literature will be rich in that. I could not believe it. I sat down one day and I sort of I was like, oh, well, today's the day I'm going to research this exciting topic and put it, in, put it into PubMed and pulled up some review papers. Five review papers came up. Three of them were focused in on the possibilities of multiple orgasms in men. So not sure. only was the research not done on women, it had been done in men. Oh. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's a shock.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that just highlights, you know, It's. I mean, you just ha- you just have to laugh. I just thought, gosh, that. I mean, why was I not surprised? But I thought, surely this topic of all of them, this would have been researched a women, but no, we'll we put it that, a minute. You know, we might research. have
0: a part of, yeah, yeah. Well. Oh my gosh, I hate to say it, that we are actually uh, wrapping here right at where we we are at our time limit, which just, you know, of course, because, you know, this topic and and you, we have to, no questions asked, have you back on, because there's so many other things that I've just been like sitting here scribbling down of like questions that I want to ask, and I know that our listeners are going to have a ton of questions as well. Um, but before we end, one of the biggest things that I want to be able to do is send people your direction so they can find out more about buying the book. Um, look, the book is called "The Women's Brain Book: The Neuroscience of Health, Hormones, and Happiness," and it's going to be published here in this month.
2: Yeah, the end of the end of this month um, here in Australia, New Zealand, in print. From it's um, being published by Hachette. Um, it is available as an e book in the US um, on Amazon. Um, should be available globally, except the UK and Europe and some Commonwealth countries, excluding Canada. I've been schooled up well by my publisher uh, because it is being published in the UK under a different title. Over there, it's been called Demystifying the Female Brain and Neuroscientist Explores Health, Hormones, and Happiness. So, it's a, it's a sort of similar. Um, and that will be coming out there in July. I suspect if you, perhaps you have an Amazon Kindle and you're in the UK, you won't be able to get hold of it until July. It's super complicated. I'm just, I'm just the author. I'm just going, going along for the ride here. <laughs> um, publishing, publishing is a complicated business. Um, but if you go onto my yeah, if you go onto my website, Your Brain Health. There are links on there and you will be able to, and I'm always updating those links when I kind of find out more information about how overseas people can buy print versions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's your, yourbrainhealth.com.au. And people can also, if they are interested in following in Jay's footsteps and, and learning more about applied neuroscience and brain health, I do have this um, online course um, people can use it for professional development. If they so wish, they can gain 20 hours professional development from that. Um, and I go through this, this sort of eight weeks of modules that I teach over 10 weeks about the basics of neurobiology, neuroplasticity. We get into um, ideas around um, behavior change and motivation and using visualization all very, very um, based in the neuro, neuroscience research and then aspects of brain health. We talk about mental health, we talk about Alzheimer's and depression, uh, sorry, Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Um, so we're in the middle of that at the moment, Jay and I, and quite yeah. a few, few and, others. And, you
1: know, I will tell my audience that so far the only thing in my book that i found that I wasn't accurate on was, and this is not at the time, because I mentioned to them, we just came up on your, on your website. I haven't had them watch the Amy Cuddy Ted talk and do oh, the power yeah, pose, Right. Yeah. So that's in my book, but that was out there like four years ago. So. <laughs> yeah.
2: They, well, <laughs> no. the Amy, yeah, the Amy Cuddy takedown is a, is a kind of an interesting story all of its own. Cause there was a little bit of, you know, some, some of her research wasn't able to be, um, Sort of replicated the 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 sense of um, agency and um, you know kind of power or whatever it gave it gives people with that pose that's that's replicable. But some of the some of the stuff around the hormones and and Actual whatnot
1: raising their cortisol, um, yeah, cortisol, doesn't raising your testosterone. Yeah.
2: And and it, and that kind of makes sense because you know it's context dependent, and we're all we're all we're all different, and we all have different experiences, and and you know bodies are complicated, but um. It's, take down of that idea of hers oh whoa if you want to kind of look at how women can be treated in stem subjects go and go and have a look at the story it's that's a fascinating one all of its own oh no yeah you're
1: absolutely right it's
2: not a very so, nice way in the podcast though is it i know but well
1: let me let me let me not in there because let me at least say Sarah, i just want to acknowledge and appreciate you for coming on our show and also for being the woman willing to do the woman's research and keeping it out there and starting this conversation. Cause it's, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure this is just your first book. <laughs> so, um, that's—I'm <They're> <laughs> you know, uh we're pretty sure. And especially once you told them all that there's stuff in there about neuroscience about orgasms, you already just sold a million copies. So, <laughs> go. so we appreciate you so much. I appreciate your, uh, you being also my mentor and um, I hope you'll come back. Cause it was great yeah. talking to you.
2: Yeah, and I, I think there's plenty more we can talk about. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd, love, I'd love that. Yeah. Happy to chat yeah. anytime. So thank you so okay. much for having wonderful, me on. Wonderful,
0: wonderful. So we can find you at yourbrainhealth.com.au. Um, you've got the neuroacademy.com as well. We will post uh, links on our website, jayandbecca.com, within the show notes as well, just so we can send people directly to where you are, along with the the ability to purchase that ebook. You can already buy that currently, right, on Amazon in the U.S.?
2: Um, oh, from, from the end of the month, from the end of March. At the end of the
0: month. Okay, so mm-hmm. we'll make sure to update mm-hmm.
2: that. So
1: the, podcast
0: the, the right, yes, exactly, right link so we can all order this book and find out, you know, how our brains are working around those multiple orgasms. I'm excited.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> and uh, we will definitely be having Dr. Sarah back. Thank you so much. You ever feel like joining us in, in our private facebook group i'm happy to send you our link and
2: oh I'm please sure do be
0: lots of people who would be love to uh, ask you a few more questions and and uh, learn a little bit more about how they can connect with you so yeah. thank you guys all so much for listening and we will see you next week
2: all right thanks Bye. guys Thank you so
0: much for joining us again this week on Doing the Work with Jay and Becca. We appreciate you so much, and we invite you to join us at Doing the Work with Jay and Becca on Facebook. Uh, we have a great discussion group there going, or visit us at jayandbecca.com for show notes. We have uh, pullouts of links to the books and the things that we talk about. And as always, we are here for you, and we want to be part of your weekly self-care. So thank you so much for listening.
1: Stay connected, and most importantly, be kind to you.
0: Hell yeah. Thank you so much, Jay, and we'll see you next week.
1: See you next week.